Now before 8 p.m. Now Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon uh, outlined uh, some of the next steps for ESCOM, especially as it relates to uh, the burden of debt that they carry. And they're saying that uh, the uh, new restructuring office uh, within the SOE will have one overriding responsibility, and that is to make recommendations uh, on the restructuring of this debt. And uh, one wonders, I mean, how many other more recommendations that do we need? You know, there, there was the ESCOM Sustainability Task Team. There's all manner of other consultants that have been roped in over the last uh, a few years or so. And one would think that, uh, you know, if indeed this uh, issue of debt, uh, as it certainly is, is a major issue of consideration for the entity, why all of these task teams, consultants, uh, would certainly not, I guess, uh, have a view or recommendations and suggestions on how some of this debt ought to be restructured. And the minister also came out and said the uh, restructuring office would not be involved in splitting up ESCOM and would deal with the debt restructuring and assist in the production of a paper that would provide a roadmap for the unbundling process. And I, I mean, so, so you want to unbundle, which is effectively a restructuring process. But the Office for Restructuring mustn't play any role or even give any, uh, I guess, uh, views and um, offer any perspectives on that unbundling process. I mean, it uh, certainly seems like somewhat of an anomaly here to me, but... Uh, uh, the gentleman I have now on the line might know a bit more about these matters than I do and uh, uh, probably will be in a better position to explain to us. Uh, his name is Dumat Krubul. He's the founding director at the Center for Economic Development and uh, Transformation and he's an economist and he joins us on the line this evening. But Duma, Gunjan. And you, How are you? I'm yeah. very well, thanks. I mean, Pratuma, uh, I think for me, uh, certainly a puzzling one here that uh, you would have... Uh, uh, a restructuring office that uh, probably wouldn't play a role in uh, what, in essence, here is the biggest restructuring of ESCOM since it was a commission and there wasn't an SOE back in the days. So quite surprising here that uh, the same office would only be charged with, I guess, restructuring and maybe negotiating with lenders and uh, not necessarily the unbundling process, which is uh, the big elephant in the room. As you said, the whole announcement is just confusing because um, at one point they're saying, it's not, go- it's not going to look at the unbundling. And at the other point, they say it's going to, look, it's going to do a paper that deals with the unbundling. So it's totally confusing now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when you look at all of the successive panels, task teams, and all manner of other, uh, I guess, uh, smart people that have been brought together to, th- to think about some of these issues, well, does it seem now that, I guess, uh, the can is being kicked down the road once again to, to somebody else uh, to think yes, about how you restructure the debt. You know, as you say, there's so many reports from Boston Consulting Group, mm. from Lazard, from the Sustainability Task Team, from the board, um, from the management. They've all made... So what I'm saying now is that this is a political decision. You don't need another corporate finance person, another investment banker to sit and look at all the um, proposals. It's a political decision. Let me just explain something. This issue of ESCOM, it's way beyond the board. Mm. Um, it's a macroeconomic policy issue that board members can't solve. They don't, have the, they don't have the skills to be able to solve this thing. This is a political issue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it has impact on our... It has issue on the growth of our economy. Mm. The, the implications are huge. And you can't just say that the board must decide this is way above them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you distinguish or when you make the distinction, Pratuma, between uh, a solution coming from some of the corporate financiers and a political solution, I guess it has implications on uh, the kind of suggestions that one would see 
as uh, uh, feasible uh, from uh, either perspective. And uh, you, you certainly made your views known about uh, some of the institutions that could potentially come in here and okay, yes. uh, retire so some of the debt. I've been saying this for quite, for quite a long time, but let's just separate two issues. Mm. South, Africa's, as South Africa as a country, the sovereign, we've got a debt-to-GDP ratio of about 56% growth and about 50% net. Yes. Now, that is not high by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know why people keep repeating that our debt is high, that we're heading towards the IMF. So let's just clear that. Now, the second issue, we have an ESCOM debt problem. ESCOM's got a debt of 440 billion rand. And quite a few months ago, after the budget, I said, we have to cut this debt by half. Um, because if you look at the latest financial statements, ESCOM needed 70 billion rand just to service this debt. And this debt is the major issue, the drag on ESCOM right now that's going to bring the country down. So what I'm saying is that to halve the debt, there are a number of options. Management, um, some time ago, I think two years ago, they proposed that they should lift 100 billion rand to the government's balance sheet. That's what they proposed. Mm. And the numbers, every time they they delay, the, the amount that you have to shift to the government that's getting higher. So now they're talking higher numbers of about 150, 200 billion rand. That's the first thing. So what I'm saying is that we have to look at our whole national balance sheet. So on the one side, we've got national debt of 2.1 trillion. Mm. We've got foreign exchange reserves of about, um, um, sorry, we've got um, state-owned enterprise debt of 650 billion. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, we've got foreign exchange, I mean, the PIC, 2.1 trillion. And then we've also got um, foreign exchange reserves of 700 billion. Now, many countries that were faced in a similar situation, for example, China 20 years ago, their banks were about to go bust. And it would have stopped the Chinese growth miracle. So what do they do? The Treasury and the Central Bank capitalize the Chinese banks by $500 billion. So what I'm trying to say, our state institutions must step up Mm. and recapitalize and take off this debt off the ESCOM balance sheet. And for example, the Government Employees Pension Fund has got um, 90 billion rand of ESCOM debt. I think the GEPF is overcapitalized in the PIC. Um, It's way overcapitalized. It's got a obscene level of funding for such a poor country. And I believe that they can write off 90 billion rand of the ESCOM debt. That's number one. And this is deficit neutral. The second issue, the UIF has got a surplus of about 100 billion rand. We can use some of that to reduce the debt. And this is also debt deficit neutral, doesn't affect the debt. And the second thing, we've got these foreign exchange reserves of about 700 billion. What are they there for if we can't dip into them during a time of crisis to sort out this debt problem? Mm. Many countries have done this. The Chinese did it, the Indians did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're raising a very, very crucial point there. But uh, I mean, how would you respond uh, to, uh, you know, uh, a comment coming from someone like Dr. Sean Miller responding to your view, saying that, you know, there's also other liabilities that sit within the state balance sheet that uh, we ought to be conscious of. One of those is uh, the road accident fund, which finds itself in somewhat of a pickle, uh, just over the tune of 400 billion uh, for the 2021 to uh, 2022 financial year. And then, of course, uh, many of the uh, medical legal 
uh, liabilities uh, which are anticipated to also be uh, in the billions. H- how does that change the picture and, uh, of course, the recommendation that you make? Yes, I hadn't looked. I must say I haven't looked at that one, but there's also properties that the government has, about 250 sure. billion rands okay. on the other side. Yeah. So these are some of the things that we should be looking at. But I'm just saying that we should have a whole countrywide analysis I of see. this balance sheet okay. and not just look at one side of the balance sure, sheet. Yeah. Sure, definitely. Let's pause there for a second, Pratuma, and take a brief break. When we come back, I want us to continue on this vein and uh, maybe, I guess, uh, talk about uh, you know making sense of uh, all of the restructuring that is underway at uh, ESCOM, which, uh, of course, uh, who's unbundling uh, will uh, certainly not be within the purview of the chief restructuring officer. If uh, you're asking yourself what I mean by that, Namdis Buzalon. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. I'm in conversation with Duma uh, Kubule uh, on this Monday evening as part of our business wrap, and we're taking a look at uh, the uh, issue at uh, ESCOM and, of course, some of the uh, plans charted out by the uh, Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. And Pratuma, the other one I want us to take a look at here are some of the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the, this, this whole notion of, um, you know, uh, how much debt can the uh, entity sustainably take. And then, of course, the option as well of uh, potentially swapping some of this debt for equity. Um, do you get a sense that there's appetite on the part of many of these investors? And uh, why is it so important to add the sweetener that, you know, that swap would only apply, I guess, to the profitable part of ESCOM, which is its uh, transmission business? Okay, so, so first of all, um, that's a difficult one. So the swap debt for equity, the problem with that is that, um, as the finance, chief financial officer of ESCOM said, to split up ESCOM, such a complex company, mm. it's going to take a long time. We're talking about a few years before. First, there's a functional space separation, then there's a legal separation, then there's a financial separation, and then you must now apportion the debt, 440 billion debt between the three companies. So it is a very complex exercise that will take a few years at best. Now, it doesn't solve the immediate financial and operational problems. ESCOM needs this debt to disappear now. So for me, talking about a debt for equity swap before we've even separated this company functional, let alone legally, let alone apportion the debt, I think it's just pie in the sky to think we can have a debt for equity swap. The other issue is that apparently there's another proposal that we should put it in a special purpose vehicle, but nobody's saying who's going to service the debt on the special purpose vehicle. So in, for me, it would have to be government, so it's no different from shifting it to the government balance sheet. Mm. Sounds like very sophisticated financial engineering to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we take a look at this, uh, do you get a sense that, you know, this is a rush, uh, kind of rush communication, you know, if you think about sort of rugby here, a rush defense uh, uh, after, of course, uh, you know, the uh, Ministry of Public Enterprises and the government more broadly has come under consistent attack from the likes of the ratings agencies and even the investor community broadly you, you for know, not having a plan. I, I don't know why it's been such a rush because Jabba Mabuza in June last year, he said there'd be a plan in September. He said, give me time. And then in November last year, um, Skonati, the journalist, yes. asked, guys, where is this plan? You guys said it's going to be ready in June, it's going to be ready in September. We've been talking about this plan from the government since last year. So um, it was very naive of the government to think that you just appoint a board and everything will sort itself out without restructuring the finances of these companies. Yeah. Operationally, uh, Pratuma, before we let you go, I'm quite interested in, I guess, uh, what uh, ought and needs to change in the entity. Uh, many people, I guess, have, uh, you know, just 
effectively assumed, and many of us in the media have assumed, that you know unbundling is uh, synonymous with uh, you know some form of operational efficiency and uh, you know a, a change up in the business model. And uh, I'm yet to be convinced if indeed that is the case. But uh, let's maybe move with that for a second here. What what is going to happen from an operational perspective that will ensure that even if you do restructure some of this debt? That uh, you you won't have an ESCOM that uh, goes, you know, begging uh, cap in hand to the lenders once again uh, for all manner of bailouts and uh, more importantly from us as taxpayers. Okay, the next thing, so once you sort out the debt, the next, the big thing if you saw from the results is that ESCOM has got a primary energy problem. Mm. Primary energy accounts for 55% of this organization's costs. We're talking coal and renewable energy. So that is a very difficult one that we have to solve. Um, some people are saying we must do like what Sassel does, uh, where the mines, the coal mines of Sassel, which mm. for petrochemicals are an internal cost, um, a co- internal cost um, is not for profit. So some people are saying that these cost-plus mines, the government must take them over and, you know, start running them or whatever. Or ESCO must start running them. ESCO must start running some of the, some doing its own renewable energies. These are some of the, but we have to have a serious hard look at this rising primary energy cost. The, the, the IPPs give us 4% of the energy, but they're 22% of the primary energy cost. It doesn't make sense, you know. Mm, mm. And yeah, I mean, to, what then accounts for all of this, uh, you know, I guess hyping up or even the vogue associated with all of these IPPs? Uh, if indeed, I guess from a cost perspective, it doesn't really sort of chime up. Well, I don't know. So, so I think that's the next big discussion we have. Now, the one that I, I, I like talking about is the one of the so what you call it, the employees. So everybody is an expert on ESCOM, but if you do the numbers when I, on the employees, the employee cost has come down from 28% of revenue in 2009 to 18% of revenue in wow. 2000. And yeah, so it's come down um, quite significantly as a percentage of revenue. So now we're at 18%. Now, in South Africa, we don't just fire half the workforce <laughs> like happened at Deutsche Bank, we have processes. Mm. So let's say that we're going to cut ESCOM staff by a third. So that is um, 6% over three years. So just divide that. It's a saving of 2% a year over three years. That doesn't solve the problem. I'm not saying we mustn't cut the employees, but I'm saying that um, it is a bit naive to assume that if you cut the employees by a third... It's going to make a big difference to the situation. Mm, yeah. Mm. Mm. And uh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do need an, we, didn't, we do need the uh, organisation that's fit for purpose. We can't have many surplus employees and all of that. But I'm just saying that we, we, we must look at the big numbers, which is the primary energy cost. Yeah. Mm. And when we think about you know something that a lot of people have flagged, even uh, from a coal generation perspective, some of the uh, uh, what do they call it? Evergreen contracts and some of the more longer term contracts. What ought to happen to some of those um, uh, as part of this uh, unbundling process? One would think that one of these entities will have to take uh, some of those on and uh, it's quite clear it's going to be the generation business. And does it have the capacity to do so? Okay, so, so, so now let's talk the unbundling. So what we're talking about, if you look at the, what the, the value of the assets that were given to Nero by ESCOM, we're talking about an 80-10-10 Mm. split. So it's not like a 30-30-30. We're having like a, so generation will still be too big to fail and most of generation is very old um, power stations that can't be sold and require a lot of new investment. And the ones that uh, Medupi and Kusile, the big ones, we can't sell them before they're finished. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Mm, so there's a chicken sure, egg situation. Sure. So I think we should all, I think the most important thing, my party thinks that ESCOM should become, I don't, it should be a public issue. Um, I don't think we should have these investment bankers from overseas deciding what happens. We should have, I would even argue, a stakeholder board that includes labor, the communities mm. that are going to be affected in Pumalanga from the transition from coal to renewable, and all the stakeholders, consumers must be represented. So, so mm. I would say we need a stakeholder board of ESCOM and that is going to drive this thing because all of us have an interest in this organization. Yeah. Pratuma, we'll have to leave it there, Mkulo. I'm always a pleasure uh, catching up with you. That there is uh, the founder of the uh, Center for Economic uh, Development and Transformation and uh, economist Duma Kubula speaking to us this evening about what's needed uh, to uh, deal with uh, some of the challenges uh, as it relates to the debt of uh, ESCOM as part of our business wrap conversation this evening.